Good morning, everyone. It's Anthony. Some of you may know me as Tony. Some of you may know me as Ant. Others of you may call me Zaddy. Back with episode two of my podcast, PSA Papi. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really do appreciate actually all the feedback that I've gotten on episode one. Um, it's been awesome getting all your DMs, your tweets, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I'm glad that you guys have enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed making it. Um, actually, I got some pretty incredible feedback. A friend of mine actually sent me a screenshot that her father sent her. Um, he had listened, and now apparently he just feels really self-conscious about um, his ass because he doesn't want to get into an argument with somebody. And they tell him, hey, your, your, your ass is dirty. The argument invalid. So that is absolutely great. I'm, I'm absolutely uh, glad to hear that I've had even the most minimal impact on people's everyday lives. I've got a lot of messages about bidets. I've gotten some messages about ass eating, um, which, you know, is something that I definitely advocate for. And um, no, I'm, I'm glad you guys are listening and enjoying. And, um, you know, go ahead and if you like what you hear, uh, subscribe, go ahead and follow, DM me if you have any topics that you want to talk about or anything, you know, positive or negative that you want to add or say, go ahead and um, hit me up. So today we're going to be talking about a few different topics. We're definitely going to be getting into some political drama, but it's okay. I'll make it fun for you Um, because it honestly is very fun. It's very messy, as boring as it may sound on the news. Messy bitch who lives for drama. Um, Some of you may know me as as a a graduate of Emerson College. I studied communications um, with a focus on crisis management and conflict resolution. And um, communication is something that's really important to me because people would always be like, Oh, what does that even mean? Like, oh, you're a comm major? What does that mean? Bitch, I do what you don't know how to. Um, that's the best way to put it. And so earlier, I had an interaction on Instagram that prompted me to change one of my topics completely. And it's something, It's I'll take the, I'll, I'll, I'll make this a lesson. I think it's a lesson that everybody should know. And it's the difference between communicating something explicitly versus being implicit, versus implying something. So so I'm, I'm going to get into it. Basically, earlier uh, this morning, I was on Instagram, and there's a page that I follow called Ratchet TV. I absolutely love that page. It's, it's a private page, so you have to follow to see the content, but it's absolutely worth a follow. Um, but they had posted a video, um, I guess from a TV show. It was a clip in which a woman was boasting about how clean her toilet was. And I shit you not, no pun intended, I really didn't mean that fucking pun, but she fucking puts a glass. She takes a glass, puts it in the toilet, um, because she's like, my toilet is so clean, I could drink from it. She lowers the glass into the toilet, fills it up, brings it back out, has the audacity to pop a fucking lemon wedge. I don't know why the fuck she had a lemon wedge just casually waiting in the bathroom for her. Obviously, it was a fucking stunt. Pops the lemon wedge in and has the nerve to be like, cha-ching, before she goes ahead and drinks it. She takes a sip. I don't know. It was like, somebody commented, it was like, oh, that was, that was more like a little wine tasting than it was a, a drink. She, you know, she barely went in on it. And you could tell that she, from her face, she didn't really want to do it. But I don't know why she did it then. It was just the most foul, just the most absolutely most foul thing I'd seen. I'm like, she really just drank out of her fucking toilet like her name was Fida. What is she doing? <laughs> Sis, and for the cameras, stop. So I see that and I had commented. <laughs> I commented, yes, hello, 911, she's right here. <laughs> and it's not the most original comment. I'd seen comments like it before, but it gets the job done. It was absolutely the most appropriate. And as such, I ended up being the top comment with like something like uh, almost like 600 or something likes. Um, so, you know, people were commenting under that, different things, et cetera, et cetera. But this morning, I woke up to a notification 
somebody replied to my comment. Her name is Kerla Dubois. I'm going to put you out there. K-H-E-R-L-A-D-E-S-B-O-I-S. Kerla Dubois commented. She replied to me saying, this water is the same water that you take your shower with, the same water you brush your teeth with. Come again? Excuse me, sis? What? So I went ahead and I replied and I told her basically, you know, the water that I, you know, brush my teeth with, that I shower with, that comes straight out of my pipe, it doesn't just rest on the same surface that I take a shit on waiting to be used. You know what I'm saying? Like, that toilet hole is not clean past what she could see and actually reach. I was like, sis, you know, please reevaluate your position, love. And she goes, oh, well, what's my position? And I told her that, well, I mean, you're, you're clearly defending this. To which she took offense and she goes, she says this. I stated where the water came from. How am I defending? Quit trying to imply or guess if I never even said. Reevaluate your statement, love. To which I replied, <laughs> to which I replied, girl, there would have been no reason to try and equate shower and teeth brushing water with tainted ass toilet water if not to imply defense. Kindly take this L and go. Go, sis. Go. Get, get out of here. The bitch blocked me. <laughs> Which is completely fine because I don't need to be, you know, kikiing with no fucking toilet water drinkers. I I, I don't. I, I really don't. But anyway, my, my whole point is the statement, this is the same water you brush your teeth with, that's one clause. But really, it's part of a two-clause sentence. The whole sentence, clauses one and two together, would look something like, this is the same water you brush your teeth with, therefore, there's nothing wrong with this. Or, therefore, this is normal. Or, therefore, what's the problem? See, that's what an explicit statement looks like. But just because you omitted the second clause, just because you omitted that explicit statement and didn't say, oh, this is normal, does not mean that you didn't leave us with a strong implicit message, a strongly implied message. You know damn well what you meant. Everybody knows damn well what you meant based on what you said. You really could have given me a like. You could have ignored me. You could have scrolled right on past my ass, right on past my comment. But no, instead you had to feel some type of way. You had to get in your bag, had to get in your feelings. No, you chose to be Scene. You chose to do the absolute most with your latrine lapping ass. You couldn't just keep your mouth shut. You just had to fix your oral opening to let niggas know that we live in a modern civilization that you still somehow don't see nothing wrong with a little drink from the toilet bowl, you foul motherfucking creature. To freedom! <laughs> you told on your own damn self. Bitch, you told on your own damn self. You the type of bitch that'll go ahead and, and, and season a whole chicken in your sink without a bowl. Then have a nerve to get mad when niggas don't want to eat that shit. Excuse me. I know you fucking lying. And you got the nerve. Sis, I ain't going to your house for dinner. Not when you don't got a problem drinking out of the toilet bowl. That shit reminds me of this clip I saw. This clip, <laughs> I saw this clip on Twitter. And uh, it's about this really, really cheap woman. And um, she basically saves all the sauces. She uses reuses the same water a billion times over. It's absolutely foul. I'm going to play this shit for you, and we're going to get into it. My family feels that my cheapskate ways are out there, but I don't really care. This is my reusable boiling water. Yes, I know it may be a little chunky, but it saves me from spending more money on my water bill by cutting on the water and putting more water in the pot, dumping it, and then doing it all over again. So that saved my water. Lunch time. Come on, let's eat. When are you going to change that water? I'll change it in due time. Just don't rush me, because the more you ask me that, the longer I have to keep it. I'll never ask you that again. I 
am able to make the most of every food and drink that we have in this house by reusing. If it doesn't get all drunk up, I pour it back. If it doesn't get all slopped up, I put it back in its container. I'm gonna save this pasta sauce for the next spaghetti dinner. Yo, this woman is fucking foul. Foul. And it's not her, her, her man even says it's not even that they don't have money. He has money and she has money. But she is just so bent on penny pinching that she literally scrapes sauce off of reusable plates and puts it back into the container. This is sauce that touch everything. Like, just imagine the bacteria just harboring on all this food that she's just reusing and reusing, reusing. You should see the water. This water looks like she done did laundry in it. Like, like, like and, and she's and she's boiling her spaghetti in it. I know you fucking lying. This is the type of bitch that the, the, the one that was Carla, Carla, Carla Dubois. This is the type of shit that she would do. Or at least that I would think she would do, given that she's really out here trying to defend toilet water drinkers. Or am I wrong? Damn. I know she fucking lying. Hashtag this line, your honor. Hashtag I don't believe these. Anyway, all that just to say, you don't have to say something explicitly to say it at all. You can imply shit. And people do it all the time. Another example, uh, Eric Garner. Just recently was the five-year anniversary of Eric Garner's death. Uh, as you recall, Eric Garner was a man who was killed by police. He suffered a heart attack after being harassed and then choked by them to the point of becoming unconscious. This was back in summer of 2014. Um, there was a guy, a writer. He's also um, he's a host of a podcast. His name is Adam Johnson. Um, he pointed out, uh, I saw it on Twitter, he had screenshot the original New York Times article uh, that came out on July 17, 2014, about uh, Eric Garner's death. And um, he made a couple points. I'm going to read it to you real quick because it's that short. It's super short. And then I'm going to point out what Adam Johnson pointed out on his Twitter. Staten Island man dies after police try to arrest him. A Staten Island man died on Thursday after police officers tried to arrest him on the street not far from Staten Island Ferry, the police said. The man, Eric Garner, 43, went into cardiac arrest as he was being placed into custody around 4.45 p.m. on Bay Street, across from Tompkinsville Park, the police said. He was pronounced dead a short time later at Richmond University Medical Center on Staten Island. It was not immediately clear why Mr. Garner was being arrested or if he had been in handcuffs at the time. The police said he had been arrested numerous times, most recently in May, on charges of illegal cigarette sales. Mr. Garner weighed well over 300 pounds, the police said. That, that's it. That's, that's the article. Um, so it was super short. In that one article, there were only 124 words. The police say was a phrase that was used four times. It doesn't seek witness accounts. There's no mention of a police chokehold, which is what we know killed him. And it basically, it basically implies that Eric Garner was uh, responsible for his own death. So here's the thing. And I'm going to read, it's basically all in the last paragraph. I'm going to read that again. It was not immediately clear why Mr. Garner was being arrested. Wait, what? It's, it's not immediately clear why he was being arrested. So the police can tell you why he was being arrested. But they told you that he died while being arrested. And they told you he had a heart attack. And when. And where. And where they took him after. And they told you that he supposedly has a criminal history. Shit, they even went ahead and told you his weight. What's left to tell you is like, what, his pacing schedule? 
how many centimeters his last dookie was. Like, what, what else could they possibly, like, they literally told you everything. They told you everything. But for some reason, the police couldn't do their jobs and tell you why they were arresting him. No, it just, it just wasn't immediately clear, and that was a good enough answer for you. So I'm like, listen, that's where the whole line about his supposed criminal history comes in, is that they give us absolutely no context about the situation, but mention past arrests in an attempt to do what? They are implying, they're implying that there's a link between what he's allegedly done in the past and whatever he could have possibly done in the present. That's the context that they're creating essentially to legitimize his arrest. So they want you to operate under the assumption, under the idea that once a criminal, always a criminal. Oh, oh, and his last arrest was in May. Oh, that makes sense. It's only July now. So, of course, he would act up again. So the New York Times didn't have to explicitly say the police apprehended a criminal and they were justified. No, this is not an op ed. They would never do it that way. They would never explicitly say that. But what they did do is imply that it was justified. And they tried to get the average reader to draw that conclusion, no matter how far of a reach it actually was. So then there's a line, the line that really fucking gets me about this entire thing is the last line. Mr. Garner weighed well over 300 pounds, the police said. Who said that? Who said that? Why the fuck is that relevant? There are three paragraphs. We have 124 words, three paragraphs. There's literally no, like no, I feel like Cardi B back in Love and Hip Hop and the reunion when she was coming at Swift's uh, ex boot thing. What was the I reason? Just I just explained the reason. What was the reason, bitch? I don't need to explain myself to you. And what was the reason? <laughs> what the fuck was the actual reason? Like, there was no fucking reason. There literally was no reason. I'll tell you why they did it though. That sentence about him being over 300 pounds, well over 300 pounds, has no purpose other than to imply that there was a correlation between his weight and the heart attack that he suffered during his arrest. It works together with the omission of what we came to find out. We, we, we came to find out that there was a chokehold, an illegal chokehold that he was placed under by police even after he continued to say and repeatedly said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. They kept doing the damn thing. They choked the motherfucker out. He went unconscious. They choked him the fuck out. And then suddenly it was like, oh, shit, what did we do? But in order to wipe the police hands clean and place blame on the victim, they went ahead and threw in that he was uh, well over 300 pounds. If he wasn't fat, he wouldn't have died. Now, they could have still done whatever the fuck they wanted to do with his body. They still could have choked the shit out of him, knocked him down. It, was, it would have been fine. He just, you know, he wouldn't, have had, he wouldn't have died. Because apparently police brutality is not the problem here. It's not the issue. It's his fatness. That's why he got a heart attack was his fatness. And, and it's and it's just not right. It's simply not right. It's simply not true. Just even the passive language that's employed in the article seeks to imply that it's not the police's fault. A man died. Bitch. Oh, oh, a man died. No, bitch. He was killed. He didn't just drop dead on his own. He didn't just die. He died as a result of actions, police actions, actions that were taken by police. Whichever way you want to phrase it, bitch, that's what the fuck happened. And in August of that year, August 2014, even the coroner ruled that his death was a homicide. So here we have a whole ass homicide and y'all want to be making it making it seem like a nigga just died. And it was his fault. And y'all are out here strongly implying it. Because you know you can't outright say it. Because that would be ridiculous. Because you know how fucking ridiculous this seems. How ridiculous exactly it is. Shame on you! Shame on you! And so, in the end, 
No one will be held responsible. Um, just days ago, we found out the federal prosecutors will not be charging Officer Daniel Pantaleo in Garner's death. And uh, this is what his daughter, Emerald Snipes, had to say about it. As you all can tell, I'm very angry. I am very angry. I stand here in the spirit of my sister who fought for justice until her dying day for my father, standing outside protesting. She called the CCRB to do this investigation, and they didn't do their job. We called the Department of Justice. They didn't do their job. So no, I'm going to stand outside and I'm going to scream it. Pantaleo needs to be fired. He needs to be fired. There is no waiting. There is no nothing. The statute of limitation ends tomorrow. Eric dies 7-17-14. We're 7-16-19. Five years later and there's still no justice. So no, there won't be no calm. No, there won't be no peace. No justice, no peace. I'm here for Alyssa, I'm here for Kaylee, and I'm here for EJ. They have to watch their, their grandfather be killed on TV every time the news comes on. They have to watch as we go through this and we are emotional because we have to be strong for these children. So no, we will not rest. No, we will not be calm. De Blasio, what's up? When are you going to fire this officer? You have the evidence. You have the evidence. And more, than, more evidence than we ever knew got released in this trial. A lot of information that we didn't even know was released in the trial. So where's the justice? Don't apologize to me. Fire the officer. Don't give me your condolences. I heard that five years ago. We want justice and we want it today. By five o'clock, they should be letting us know something. Something. Because coming in here, bringing us here in a roundtable talk, just to say, after you already released your decision that you're, uh, you're, you apologize, your condolences, no, no. We've been quiet for way too long. My sister died fighting for justice. You won't kill me. You won't kill me. That's it. So basically, Eric Garner was killed. His daughter Erica also died, leading the fight for justice for her father. The bystander who caught the video, Ramsey Orta, um, he became a target of constant harassment by police in the years later and is now serving a four-year sentence on a weapons charge. It's a really sketchy weapons charge. He, like, basically sold... Um, he had to move from where he was living before because the police were always running up on him. They were shining lights into his crib. Um, so he had moved, and then they got him selling weed to, like, a 17-year-old, which, honestly, like, who hasn't bought weed as a 17-year-old? Um... But uh, instead of getting him on that, they got him on a really sketchy weapons charge on a gun that had no bullets in it, no clips, nothing, no fingerprints even, no fingerprints that had actually been stolen from Michigan a decade before. So he's like, I don't even know what the hell, where the hell they even got this. This is even my, nothing to do with me. Um, so they got him on that. And during his sentence, he's been threatened and beaten by police constantly. He says they've tried to uh, poison his food um, and they've poisoned other inmates around him. Uh, he just hasn't eaten the food. And they try to get him to commit suicide because that's the best way they can beat him. So uh, in the meantime, though, Daniel Pantaleo, he is still a cop, still on payroll. Um, records back in 2016 show that because he was on desk duty, his pay was at least $120,000. And that's the beautiful picture we paint here in this country, which we claim stands for liberty and justice for all. Speaking of what's wrong with this country... I take issue with people who think that there's somehow something wrong with criticizing the United States of America. 
These people often make inflammatory comments like, if you don't like it here, then just leave. But that's not how things, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'd be dying because I'm like, that doesn't, that's okay. That's, that's not how we do. That's not how the world works. Somehow, for some reason, these people equate being critical of a certain aspect of this country to being unpatriotic. But the reality is you can love a country, you can be patriotic and still take issue with certain things. As a matter of fact, if you don't take issue with certain things and don't seek to change problems and to create a better country, isn't that what's unpatriotic? That you don't love your country enough to look at it in the face and say, hey, this is wrong. We need to be better. We need to do better. Isn't that like Melania's campaign? Be better. Be best. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Think about what this country would be like. Think about what the world would be like if people didn't actually stand up and seek to resolve actual problems. How, how would that work? The reason that we have weekends is a result of the labor movement. I actually joke a lot that um, the labor movement didn't go hard enough because we only have a two-day weekend and honestly, they should have bargained for three. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? But the fact of the matter is the reason we have a weekend to begin with is because there was a whole movement behind it that sought to free the oppressed people, the oppressed working class from having to work every motherfucking day. The labor movement is the reason we got kindergartners in school and not out here in the fields and cleaning toilets and shit. It's because there was a, a, a mass organization of people that decided this is not right. We must make this better. And there's nothing wrong with making things better. It's innovative. It's the way to progress. It's the way to move our country forward. In the same way, we decided at some point that, hey, it might be a great idea to have women vote. And it might be a great idea to have black people vote and Latinos and, and everyone else who's not white. Listen, the fact of the matter is vocalizing issues and pushing for change is how we could make this country great. It's actually one of the few aspects of this country that gives us the potential to be great. It reminds me of um, this interview, uh, this documentary that Nicki Minaj had of uh, something like, wow, it was like nine years already. But there was this documentary and it was at the start of Nicki Minaj's uh, mainstream career. And she's talking about how when she demands better, when she demands best, people look at her as if she's a bitch. But if Lil Wayne were to do it, they give him what he wants. And so it reminds me of that because she was out here ranting and talking about how she had a photo shoot one time and they had a $50 clothes budget and, and, and some pickle juice on the side. And she's like, that's absolutely unacceptable. So if I turn up to a photo shoot and you, had, and you got a $50 clothes budget, and some sliced pickles on board. You want to know what? No, I am going to leave. Is that wrong for wanting more for myself, wanting people to treat me with respect? But you know what? Next time they know better. But had I accepted the pickle juice. What, what, what would happen if she didn't complain about it? I would be drinking pickle juice right now. Nikki fucking Minaj would be out here drinking pickle juice. And it's like, y'all really want us, the United States of America, American citizens, y'all claim to be number one, and y'all want us out here drinking pickle juice? Come on! If you were sick of being disappointed, you would stand up and you would take control of your destiny. We can do better as a country. And that's what we should be striving for. That's why we have a Congress. That's supposed to be why we have a Congress. So we can make laws to fix problems and to create a better situation for all American citizens, American citizens that they claim to represent. 
So no, it is absolutely patriotic to take issue with problems that we have here in the United States. It is absolutely patriotic to give feedback, whether positive or negative, to give constructive feedback and say, hey, this needs to change. Let's work towards it. Anyway, so the reason I bring this up, basically there are four freshman congresswomen, AOC, Ilan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley, and um, they're shaking things up in Congress. They're very much so pushing the left um, in a Democratic-controlled House that is very moderate. Um, a lot of the older Democrats, like Nancy Pelosi, who um, basically controls the House, are much more eccentric. And it seems like they cater a lot more to conservative interests than to, than to left-leaning liberal ones. But anyway, so I'm going to give you guys some context. We're going to talk about the whole Donald Trump thing, the rally, the send her back, all that stuff. But in order to paint a, a, an accurate picture for you guys, in order for everyone to kind of understand and follow along and, and really get what it is that's happening, I'm going to have to give you guys some context. So basically... Earlier this year, back in like February or so, um, Ilan Omar of Minnesota was criticized by House Democratic leadership. They called comments that she made anti-Semitic. Basically, she tweeted, it's all about the Benjamins, and she was referring to um, members of Congress who support the state of Israel, which many of you know is headed by a right-wing regime, uh, headed by Benjamin Netanyahu, um, who's currently op- occupying Palestine and committing a long list of human rights violations against the Palestinian people. Um, and people, some people, you know, a lot of the House Democratic leadership and others, uh, and definitely the GOP pounced on this one, they saw her comments as being anti-Semitic because they said that it played on old tropes about Jews and their money, stereotypes about money-hungry Jews. Um, And I mean, it seems like in this country you can't criticize Israel at all without being called anti-Semitic. You can't have a single valid criticism on Israel without being called uh, anti-Semitic or a Jew hater or, or anything of the like. Nancy Pelosi commented, she said, Legitimate criticism of Israel's policies is protected by the values of free speech and democratic debate that the United States and Israel share. Um, In a joint statement that she made with five other House Democratic leaders, and she said that the anti-Semitic tropes that Omar played on were deeply offensive. Now, there are organizations like the American Israel Public Affairs Committee that spend millions of dollars lobbying for pro-Israel legislation. So there are literally people and organizations paying Congress to take care of Israeli interests and perhaps place them over American interests. So why is this not a valid criticism? What was the reason? That Congress people might be acting on money. That Congress people might be all about the Benjamins because they're being paid to look for the interests of another people. Why is that a problem? Um, in the end, Omar ended up apologizing. She said the whole, you know, basically, the whole thing honestly was blown out of proportion. It was all political theater. Um, everybody kind of just jumped on it and took advantage. But fast forward to just a couple of weeks ago, there's a there was a bill that was um, being voted on. And um, there was a really great opinion piece about it by Paul Waldman in the Washington Post. Basically, there was a bill that was supposed to provide funding at the border. And there was an issue about what kind of safeguards it would have to ensure that the money actually helped those that were being, you know, held in the concentration camps. And basically, Pelosi eventually accepted this version of it that the Senate had passed and it had fewer protections. And, you know, the the squad, um, the the four young uh, Democrat 
congresswomen of color, um, they felt a way about it. They were they were pretty angry about it because it didn't go hard enough um, in their views. And so um, there was a comment that Nancy Pelosi made um, in an interview uh, with the New York Times. Maureen Dowd did this interview. And basically, this is what uh, Maureen Dowd said. She said, Pelosi feels that the four made themselves irrelevant to the process by voting against our bill, as Pelosi put it, which she felt was the strongest one that she could get. And this is a Pelosi direct quote. She says, all these people have their public whatever and their Twitter world, she said, but they didn't have any following. They're four people and that's how many votes they got. So here's the thing is, did Nancy really have to throw that shade? These people have their public. These people are congresswomen that were voted in by the people. And their public whatever, like, girl, Nancy, girl, Nancy, 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 you could have made your point. You could have just made your point that you all disagreed with one another and that was that. But instead, no, you had to throw shade. And that's not even a rare occurrence. She always, it seems like she's always dismissive of the younger, more left-leaning Democrats' positions and priorities. She also called the Green New Deal, she called it the Green Dream or whatever they call it. And it's like, yo, come on. She's always so condescending. And so AOC responded and she said that public whatever is called public sentiment. And wielding the power to shift it is how we actually achieve meaningful change in this country. So Nancy, not only does she have this whole rift with the younger Democratic uh, congresswoman, but she also is super slow to move. She's been slow to move with Trump's tax returns. Um, She waited months before filing an official demand for them, then waited months more before suing when the administration refused to give them up. When it came to impeachment, basically the Robert Mueller report, it was basically an impeachment referral. He didn't say that Trump did anything illegal, but he didn't say that he didn't do anything illegal. And he basically set up Congress to be able to go ahead and take action and impeach him. But instead, Pelosi just kept dragging her feet. Literally just yesterday, the House voted to kill a measure seeking to impeach Trump. Um, It was the first vote on such measure since Democrats took the majority. And um, yeah, it basically killed the whole thing. And so it's like, why have you been dragging your feet on this? Why are you out here being so belittling and so condescending to the people that are supposedly on your side? They are on your side. But it seems like she's not on their side. And so here's the thing. Donald goes ahead um, and over the weekend um, tweets that they should go back to the crime-infested places from which they came. Mind you, these four congressmen, they're all American citizens. Three of the four of them were born in the U.S. Omar was born in Somalia, but she became a naturalized U.S. citizen back in 2000. So in response to Donald Trump, Nancy goes back on Twitter, which is actually interesting given that she was just shading the other congresswomen about their use of Twitter and their fan bases and their constituents being active on the site. But anyway, stupid. she goes on Twitter and she tweets, when Donald Trump tells four American congresswomen to go back to their countries, he reaffirms his plan to make America great again has always been about making America white again. Our diversity is our strength and our unity is power. Which begs the question, okay, so why aren't you trying to impeach him? If you think, rather, if you know that this is about upholding white supremacy in America, why are you not trying to take it down? Why are you dragging your feet? Why are you so afraid of losing the, the, the support of the American people when this is by and large what the American people want, what the American people support? To freedom! Secondly, it's like, sis, do you think it's a coincidence that he's attacking them now after you made your shady little comments? 
after Kellyanne Conway went ahead and picked up on it? No! He's doing it because you opened the door. You've long shown contempt. You've long shown a condescending attitude. You look at them as their little as if they're little shits, and you're their, you know, annoyed ass fucking caregiver that has to do fucking everything for them. And he's picking up on that shit. You literally just shaded them. And so he said, okay, great. I'm going to grab this little thread. I'm going to pull the shit out of that, that dress. I'm going to undo the whole wrap. We're going to unwrap the whole mummy now. You went ahead and you gave him an inch and he took that motherfucking mile. You opened that little riff and it opened the floodgates on your asses. Stupid. I don't see a problem with airing grievances against other members of your party. I don't see a problem with criticizing other party members' positions and, and things like that. I hate when people say... Oh, you're doing like, especially in in, like a primary saying like, oh, you guys are doing the Republicans job for them. You guys are attacking each other. We need to stick together. We need to pick any which. No, that's not what how bitch. That's how a primary works. All these Democrats need to be attacking each other. They need to be exposing each other. They need to be going ahead and pushing each other on the issues and pushing each other towards resolutions that Americans can get behind. That's the whole fucking purpose. It's seeing who the fuck can put up with all this shit, who can withstand it all, and who can become the, the, the candidate that the American people need. Shutting up and not criticizing each other, not digging up the dirt, not saying, hey, you're actually wrong on this, or hey, let me, let me challenge you on this. That's how we get a really shitty candidate. That's how we don't change shit. Stupid. But I'm, that's in the context of a primary. I'm not saying that Congress people shouldn't be, you know, criticizing each other. But my guy, you literally just set this whole stage up for Trump to come in and be like, oh, uh-huh. And that's what the fuck he did. He walked in like motherfucking Tom coming after Jerry, tiptoeing ass and everything. And so Trump comes along and makes these comments talking about, go, you know, go back to where you came from. And it's like, they're from here. All of these women were born here, except for Omar. But she became naturalized, what, 19 years ago? She's an American citizen. She was an, she, she's an elected official for fuck's sake. Voted in by the American people. They want her here. Her constituents want her here. They want her in D.C. doing the work that they, that they... Representing them. And he's talking about go back to where you came from. It's actually really funny because then he's like, oh, it's not racist. It's not racist. He, he was asked actually about it. And he said, oh, it doesn't concern me because a lot of people agree. Well, that doesn't mean that it's not racist, my guy. That's not what that means at all. As a matter of fact, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission specifically lists go back to where you came from as an example of discrimination. That's a federal government agency that lists your rhetoric as an example of racial discrimination. So Trump goes ahead after those tweets and everybody's rebuking, rebuking him for these tweets. He goes ahead and he has a rally and this is what he had to say. And at a press conference just this week, when asked whether she supported Al-Qaeda, that's our enemy. That's our enemy. They are a very serious problem that we take care of, but they always seem to come along somewhere. She refused to answer. She didn't want to give an answer to that question. Omar blamed the United States for the crisis in Venezuela. I mean, think of that one. And she looks down with contempt on the hardworking Americans, saying that ignorance is pervasive in many parts of this country. 
And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. So there's quite a lot going on there. He's accusing Ilan Omar of sympathizing with Al-Qaeda, saying that she didn't condemn them. And it's like, listen, she didn't do it because it's not the job of Muslim people to condemn Al-Qaeda. It already should be. As an American citizen, it's already the assumption that she condemns Al-Qaeda. We don't have to walk up to every single Muslim person and be like, do you condemn Al-Qaeda? Do you condemn? What the hell does she have to do with Al-Qaeda? She has just as much to do Al-Qaeda as you or I would. And we don't have shit to do with them. It's 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 clearly a whole racist trope. And then he has complaints about her blaming the United States for issues in Venezuela, which I mean, the U.S. absolutely has historically fucked with Latin America. And that's literally why we have issues at the border right now. That's why. And he goes on to, you know, call her anti-Semitic, which, again, as we discussed earlier, the comments weren't really anti-Semitic. But he goes ahead and says she hates Israel, she hates Jews, she hates Jews. That's not at all what happened. That's not at all. That is a gross mischaracterization of what she said. It's very sensationalist. I mean, that's the entire point of his rally is to be super sensationalist and to rally the people up uh, with him. And as you can see, he succeeds as he goes ahead and, and, and they start chanting, send her back, send her back. One thing I wanted to point out is just how different the language is in saying, go back to where you came from versus send her back. One is voluntary, but we've left that. That train has left the station. Now it's not It's not they can leave. It's not they can leave should they choose to. Now it's no, get rid of her. Send her back. Send her back. And it's absolutely foul how this man just, you know, continues to talk and just, you know, lets them have their moment. And they're chanting and he's just kind of like reveling and basking in it. And it's honestly not surprising at all. I mean, we've seen this in all of his rallies, the kind of um, racist sentiments xenophobic sentiments, misogynistic sentiments that he's employed in all of his rallies since he began his campaign uh, way back. He's never stopped doing rallies. That's something that's so interesting. I'm like, you've never had a president that's done so many rallies while in position. Because, like, what are you campaigning for? You know, it's, it's just so strange that he's just continued to do rallies as if he were still campaigning, which, you know, there's very much so a campaign that's coming up, but... Why were you doing so many rallies in 2017 after your inauguration? Why were you doing so many rallies in 2018? It's just so strange. And honestly, of all people, for him to be calling claims of anti-Semitism, this is the guy who, when that Unite the Right rally happened in Charlottesville, where a woman died because she was driven over by a car and several pedestrians were attacked, were hit by someone in a vehicle— and so many other people were attacked within, within the crowd by white supremacists, by Nazis, by fucking Nazis, had the nerve to say that they were very fine people on both sides. Very fine people on both sides. Creating a false equivalence and very much minimizing just how terrible Nazis are. Just how terrible white supremacy and white supremacists are. What the actual fuck nerve... Where I would love to know where he found the nerve to go ahead and now look at somebody else and say, you're anti-Semitic. And the fact that nobody calls this out, 
They're just so blind in following. And this is exactly what he seeks to do, is delegitimize the voices of women of color, delegitimize the voices of people of color in general, not just those in power in Congress, but everyone that they stand for, everyone that they represent, in an effort to continue to make this a nation of white supremacy. Well, You know, Donald Trump and his supporters and conservatives as a whole love to claim that they have absolutely no problem with immigration as long as it happens legally. But that's absolute bullshit. It's absolute bullshit because, I mean, here we see a naturalized citizen that's been here almost two decades who's been elected by the people to represent them in a high level of government. And still there's a problem with her. It's never been about how people have gotten here. I I bet most of you don't know that the illegal entry of non-nationals into the U.S., is a misdemeanor. It's not a criminal act. It's a misdemeanor. Coming in, quote unquote, illegally or overstaying a visa, no matter how you did it, it's a misdemeanor, according to the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1965. So to be locking people up in cages, to be denying them of basic human rights, these people can't sleep. The lights are on all the time. The people who who are separated from their kids, that's so fucked up. People haven't showered in 40 days since being detained. Can you imagine if that had happened to you? And it's not even just undocumented people that are being detained at borders. There are U.S. citizens that are being detained at the borders as well. As of last year, there were about 1,500 people, 1,500 U.S. citizens who were detained. Congresswoman Nanette Berrigan from California literally just yesterday tweeted about how there was a woman that she spoke to and her daughter, she said her daughter was a U.S. citizen. They literally showed her passport. She has her passport and she's in the fucking camps. So it doesn't matter who you are, how you came in, whether or not you're a citizen. Your ass can still get locked up and be treated like this. They don't care. So it's very clear that the problem is not with how you did it. It's the problem. The problem is that we're here, period. You don't like that. And we know. We know that you don't like it. You will have to deal with it, though. <laughs> we ain't going nowhere, boo. <laughs> All right, you guys. That was episode two of the PSA Papi podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Go ahead and let me know how you guys feel. You can at me, PSA Papi, on Instagram or Twitter to let me know how you feel. And let me know what you want to hear about the next time. Till then, I'll see y'all. Goodbye.